Let's rock. I think this is season two, definitely. I think it's episode 10, so we might be on 30 total episodes. Maybe we should go to season three with episode 11. I don't know. We can talk about that off air. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't really matter what season we're in. It's all good stuff. Hey, so usually we start off our show with uh, something kind of light, and um, I ran across this today. I was reading an article. I wish I could give credit to where it was from. It was something in the news or, or some one of my online subscriptions to something, and it said... One person you'd want a vacation with, it could be dead or alive, that you are not related to, and where would you want to go? So you guys have a person and a place. Are they related, totally not related? You got any background story? Who wants to go first? Oh, goodness. Okay, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so I am going to – I'm going to throw out – two names here and I have a method to my madness. Okay. So John Lennon or Paul McCartney, mm. okay. um, circa 1965, 66, when they were in the process of getting ready to record the revolver album, which is my favorite Beatles album. The Beatles are my favorite band hands down all time. Um, but they were going to, in the process of getting ready to record revolver, which is my favorite Beatles album, but it's, it's arguably the best Beatles album recorded. Um, and so I would, I would love to have been around one of them or both of them when they were in the process of getting ready to make that album. Mm. Okay. And where would you be in the, in the studio with them, wherever that is? I, you know, I, uh, it's, I, I honestly don't even think I need to be in the studio. And they were, um, there was such a, a strong amount of creativity in the music industry at that point with the musicians that they connected with. And so for me, it's just, it would just be interesting to be around people that were really, really good at what they did. Mm, okay. You know, so, so yeah, just would love to, would love to have been around that and kind of, seeing what their personalities are like as they were getting ready to make one of the best albums of all time, which I mean, you know, musicians don't know when they record it, how good the album's going to turn out, but you know, it has been, it's always been in Rolling Stones, like, you know, top, I'd say top 20 albums of all time. So yeah. So that's, that's me. That's cool. Drawing you up. You want me to go next? You go ahead and go next. (laughs) All right. So, so mine's pretty, it, you know, it, and I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but I thought, you know, what would be a really interesting trip? And I, and I do love to travel. So as much as the person is interesting, it's about where I go with who and how they can enlighten that experience for me. I spent some time in Asia. I lived in Korea for a year and I've been to Japan. I've been to Tokyo. I've been to China. I've seen the Great Wall, great places. Hong Kong is fantastic. I love the Asian culture uh, a lot. And 
one, and I connecting this because the, probably the first person that turned me on the podcast, you know, many years ago was Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss spent a lot of time in Japan and he, he did a lot of research around Japan. So I would like to spend a week in Japan with Tim Ferriss. Uh, he's a podcaster. He's got a really good podcast about kind of hacking, hacking life. A uh, really smart guy, does a lot of interesting things. And I would like to just see Tokyo or not necessarily Tokyo, but whatever part of Japan uh, from his perspective um, and see what, see what, and have him share with me some of the things that, that he gained from that culture. So that's the one I would uh, I would take a week with Tim Ferriss and just hang out and um, visit all the cool spots that he knows about and um, just engulf myself in that culture for a little while with someone who was pretty knowledgeable. Tim Ferriss is pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's but a pretty good guy. A good pick. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that Tim Ferriss in a minute. Um, for me, I was toggling between several different, um, you know, black leaders that I, that I follow and look up to, but I, I went a different way. Um I wouldn't mind vacationing like somewhere where we can just enjoy the scenery and I can just, I could just glean from him. He's uh, passed away, but the director, John Singleton, um, the one, the one that wrote um, and directed boys in the hood, um, higher learning, poetic justice, um, baby boy, um, Rosewood and some other films, but like just like with his upbringing and, to be able to put urban life on film and the, and like just the things that were going through his mind and things he stood for, I wouldn't, I would love to like pick his brain and glean from him some things that he saw and wanted to display on film. And how could I translate that in education? I think I could, um, you know, glean a lot from him. So where would your tranquil place be? I don't know. Did you name it? Or is it just anywhere like that's anywhere beautiful. is beautiful? Where, like like where the water is blue, you just just like sit out on a patio and just chill, talk, and just like no cares in the world. I I can just learn, glean, and have fun. That's awesome. That's yeah. a that's a great pick. Yeah, yeah, I was I've been thinking about yeah. that here lately. Like some of with some of those movies that he. Well, it's it's funny. I enjoy this because you know right now you know Dina, you mentioned that you're a huge fan of the Beatles. I, I know the Revolver Adam Revolver album, but I feel like now I need to listen to it tomorrow on my way to work. So that's why this is interesting. And like Gerard, you know, John Singleton, I don't know anything about him. So I feel like after I'm done here, I need to go read some up on John Singleton and see what kind of work and he's done. So. Doug, the same thing cool. with your pick. Like, I ain't gonna lie. I didn't really know who Tim Ferriss was until um, I listened to the episode of Brene Brown's um, uh, Dare to Lead podcast where he, where he was on there with, I forget the other guy that he was on there with, but I was like, wow, I was like, man, like, who's this Tim Ferriss guy? And I'm like, as I'm like learning, learning more about what he was saying and talking to Brene about and the other um, guy that was on the podcast, I'm like, now that you bring him up, I'm like, okay, I got to learn a little bit more. It's interesting. He's got, got a, he's got a really good, solid podcast. He had on um, the most recent episode I've listened to was um, he interviewed, um, and I forget what, what, um, oh, and I'm, I'm going to say her for lack of, cause I know that that is not how the guest identifies, but, um, it was about like, it was about science, but it was about the way in which, um, you know, um, uh, they had a child that was diagnosed with what they, the fear was going to be something that there was not going, there was no way to cure the child. Um, basically what ended up happening was they became a 
like they took their background in science and basically ended up finding out a way to help not only their child, but other people who were diagnosed with something similar. Um, it was just really fascinating episode. And it was um, really interesting to just listen to the process of how that all happened. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's interviewed some interesting people. So, all right. Well, tonight we got two topics tonight, white lash or white backlash to uh, social justice issues and then um, action bias, which I didn't know much about until Dina, you introduced me to this idea. So which one you guys want to jump into first? You got any particular order in which you want to do this? Um, let's do, let's do white lash first, yeah. because I feel like, yeah. like they kind of flow really nicely that way, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I tell you what I, so I brought this topic up cause I saw, you know, after the insurrection, you know, all of a sudden it became from the Fox news medias and the other, you know, right leaning media sources. I saw a lot of, you know, well, black lives matter did this. Well, black lives matter did that. And Antifa did this. And this is, and it was like a comparison and it was, you know, stereotypical and by the book white backlash against something that happened that looked badly upon, you know, the right leaning sect of our society. So I started to think about what I didn't think about. It. I said, this is, this must have history somewhere. This has repeated itself over and over again. And I traced at least for me, what I would say the beginnings of this back to Bacon's Rebellion in the 1600s. And Bacon's Rebellion, I'll give you a quick context. In Jamestown, Bacon was a rich landover who was trying to fight against the English rule. And it wasn't going well. So what Bacon decided to do was he rounded up blacks and whites that are poor and were indentured servants. And he said, I'm going to give you freedom if we can take over Jamestown. If we can take over the town, but we need to fight this guy, Barkley. So they attacked Barkley, it didn't work well. So then he said, we're going to start fighting the Indians because at the time, excuse me, the indigenous people of Virginia and the indigenous people of Virginia were doing work with Barkley, right? So Barkley didn't like that. He attacked then Bacon. A lot of things happened, right? This is a very simple historical uh, explanation. What Bacon did was he burned down Jamestown, all right? Then he got sick. After, after Bacon got sick, Barkley destroyed the rest of the, the what he then deemed the rebels. He got support from the English. He destroyed the rebels. And those that were left over, what he did was he realized there needed to be separation because those poor whites and those poor black indentured servants, if they teamed up, he knew they could override them because their numbers were way higher than what he had to defend any area that he had. So what he did was it was that first time in at least one of the, one of the first times in history where whites and blacks were separated and whites were given rewards. They were given reparations to not only come back to the side of whiteness, but also to attack and um, actually do physical harm against the black people who who fought against um, who fought against Barkley and with Bacon. So that was probably the shortest, quickest uh, example of of what I'm talking about. But it really put in motion this idea that if we can separate whites and blacks and have them fight against each other and use poor whites to actually be that force, that driving force against black people, that what we can do then is the, the rich, powerful white people would never have to get their hands dirty. Even to the point in during the Civil War, you 
did not have to fight in the Civil War if you owned 20 slaves. So if you got 20 slaves, you did not have to fight. It became an actual law. So these things kept on happening over and over again. And what I saw after January 6th was the 2021 version of Bacon's Rebellion. I saw white people, many poor, fighting for who knows what. When it didn't go well, they then, the rich, the powerful, the media on that side, then decided to make this, well, you know what? It wasn't, or look at what you guys did before. This was somewhat, quote unquote, justified what they did. So I, don't, I can open it up at that point, but that's kind of where I saw the connection between history and where we are now. Um, and it became very clear to me that this is something, this white lash, wherever there's progress, whatever there's from civil rights to times way before that, there's always this pushback from white people that says we want to control power. And it usually comes from the most powerful, but they use the lesser powerful white people in order to enforce some of those things through their ideals and, and thoughts. And uh, it's, it's really unfortunate that we haven't recognized this because it does seem to happen over and over and over and over again. So I'll throw it out to you too. I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that, but that was kind of where I went with this. Um, Cause I was trying to make that historical connection for myself. Yeah. yeah speaking sense. of, um, I'll just put this speaking of that historical context, there was like a, like, I think it was maybe around January 9th, there was like an article in the Politico by um, a journalist. And the journalist literally said that they compared what happened at the Capitol as whiplash from the Georgia elections. Um, and then the article went into a, a familiar pattern in U.S. history of black advancement and then followed by white backlash. So that, that kind of plays into what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it a, happens over and over and over again. Sorry, Dina, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, I had actually, so it was, it was interesting because when we had had this discussion, I had, um, I follow um, an account on social media for the book, The Body is Not an Apology. And they had posted something back on January 13th um, that Black Lives Matter had posted, um, where it talks about, you know, white, white violence. And they gave, they give a very detailed description of incidents where, um, white lash has occurred within, you know, between, uh, post civil war times all the way up to, you know, our most recent, um, uh, biggest example of that, which would be the insurrection at the Capitol. Um, but it's like, you know, one of the things that I think about is, when we have people who are in some sort of position of power, you know, so, so our best example with this would be our former president. Um, so saying things that are, um, that motivate a base of people to go and attack or whatever, and stands back and watches it all happen. I've seen this happen to some degree being a high school teacher. You know, you have somebody who is, who holds some sort of position of power that a kid who, who holds that position, whether it is real or perceived, it doesn't matter. Um, and they get others to act. And what happens is that the person who is saying the things that's uh, being manipulative and, you know, taking the situation and manipulating it however they want, they never see themselves as the one perpetuating the violence. Mm -hmm. They never do. And it is, it is always a form of abuse 
and they don't ever see themselves Spe- that way. Speaking of, I'm glad you brought up social media. Here's a classic example of uh, what we're talking about right now with this white lash. So, a guy I know, very, very, very nice guy, um, who, 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 who is black Latino <laughs> and has a very, very interesting story. Like, I'm really contemplating on trying to get him on here one day. Um, we we might have to talk about that maybe later on in the year, but he he made a he made a post on social media, and it says, "Show this to our youth, inspire them to be great." And it was hashtag Black Excellence, and it was a picture from ESPN of the four black coordinators that were on the sidelines for yesterday's championship Sunday. Now let me let, okay, I'm gonna back this up. We. We all have some social media people that we started probably weaning away that that supported 45. Um, they may make posts, maybe not white supremacy posts in the past year or so in their support of 45 in certain areas. Me as a black man, I'm like, okay, they're, they're totally misguided. I don't take it upon myself to go make, to go even post and battle with them because they need to be educated on the things that 45 stood for. But why is it that this man, this gentleman, made this post, a positive post, the first person to comment on it was a white guy talking about not important, but okay, dot, dot, dot. And someone said, and someone said they do this to give black people inspiration, but it's well known that there's many successful black people in all different professions, so that's BS, dot, dot, dot. They just do it for the views and the money. Like, really? Like, what? if that's your thinking... And like, you know, I, w- I was very proud of the people that like the the guy that made the post really wasn't even getting into it with him. And he really could have because like he he's knowledgeable. He could have got into it. But it was just amazing that there are white women that have educated herself on the things that us black folks go through with stuff like this that really jumped in on that post and and really got on them because one of his one of his suggestions and Doug, I know you're going to um. <laughs> You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose on this one, um, because <laughs> I, I, I got the I got the I got to find it. Um, because the the suggestion just was, it was crazy. Um, it was saying something like, um, one thing they should do is um, line up the the staffs of both um, of the both teams and let the kid the kids and the youth can see that like you know, the, the white, that the staffs both had black people on it. And my thing was, and I, I usually don't get in these type of comments, but I had to say something this time and I, coming from an educator standpoint. No, that's not valid because kids see that every day, a kid walk in the building and there's 50 teachers in there and one or two black teachers. They see that every day. They don't need to see that on. They don't need to see that from, from football coaching staff. They, they, they see that every day. But so like, what, like, what are you talking about? Once again, black success followed by some white backlash. Like there was no need for you to jump on that post. <laughs> right. You also you wonder what the motivation was for that from the white guy. Like, what was the point? Is it like like anger, like prime jealousy? example? Like prime. 
Prime, what is it? Prime example. Show, show, show me a white coordinator, and I hate to go down the sports <laughs> road. road. Show <laughs> me a white co- show me a white coordinator. Line line them up and put give no, them the sa- they ha- if they have the same resume and ex- and the years of experience with one team as Deuce Staley has had. Tell me. Th- Tell me that they haven't got a shot at least being a head coach, even if they got fired after a year or two. Dude, Staley, 17 years. 17 years on that team. And he know he connects with the players. He's gotten railroaded. Exactly. Mm. Don't get me started on Dude Staley. (laughs) (laughs) I was, you know, and I'm I'm a little, so I'm a little sorry that I didn't bring this up earlier because i i do here's a funny thing like i know enough about sports to be (laughs) at least you know on a minuscule level dangerous (laughs) um and it's just like and and i and i try to keep up on a variety of topics just so i have things to talk about with my students um and a lot of my students follow sports and so you know i just i'll i'll ask them you know so i saw this this thing happen you know what do you what do you think and um, and so I was kind of wondering at what point this was going to come up in conversation. Um, but yeah, it's just, I like, to me, it's like, so, so first off, and I, and I agree with Doug, like, what was your point for bringing it up? One, exactly. you know, cause it's on, it's social media. So you literally don't even have to reply. You don't have to comment. Like you can literally scroll past it and not say anything. And it's like, what did you have to gain as a, as a white man? What did you have to gain by coming to a black Latinos page to comment when he shared out that with other people, what did you have to gain by that? You know? And it's like, and if we were, if we were all sitting around, you know, in, in a room together and he had made the same comment out loud, would you have said something to him in conversation? They, they keyboard, you know, they're, like they're keyboard gangsters. People a little bold when they, when they don't feel That's what they are. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's funny. That's you know. I would ask the question. You know, as you said, what did you have to gain, Dean? I kept on thinking it's not mm-hmm. what did you have to gain. It is what are they afraid to lose? Yeah. And I think that's a better. That's, question. That's a better yeah. Question. What are you afraid to lose? Because I think that's where this whole idea about when they start when whoever it is that I'm talking to or listening to or reading or whatever compares like Black Lives Matter and Antifa to the insurgency and them being equal. I say, no, they weren't because Black Lives Matter and Antifa, whether you agree with their policies or not or whatever, it doesn't. They're fighting to get something that they've never had. Right. They're fighting for equity when it comes to policing. Right. That's like the big movement. The insurgency is fighting to keep something that doesn't necessarily only belong to them. Correct. Like. It's a completely different argument. You cannot compare the two because they're not fighting for the same thing. They're not – the insurgency wasn't a protest. It was a, 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 a I don't know, a cry for something. I, I don't even know what – I don't even know how to describe it. But, you know, in, in the protests after, you know, the killings of black people, mm-hmm. it is we, – we need something that we've never had. And that is a protest. Like there's a reason for it. There was no reason for the insurgency other than you got lied to and you got punked, you know, a thousand times over by this group of people that were in power 
and convince you that you needed to storm the Capitol. For what reason? Like, I bet if you ask them now, I read an article today of the one guy who threatened AOC. He's like, well, Trump told me to do it. And it was, I mean, he basically said it was stupid. And now like two weeks, three weeks later, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, I wasn't even political (laughs) until the election. And I got convinced that it got stolen. Like something got taken away from me. And that's like, like what? Like nothing. It's just, it's the mindset of how people can get wrapped up into this stuff. And then to get out of it, you know, they try to compare it to something that had a legitimate reason, you know, uh, for protesting. Um, you know, it, it just boggles my mind. But. Well, and it's just what what's, you know, what boggles my mind is that, you know, you so there were a, there were a number of people. I'm going to say a number because I, I don't know for fact how many, but came armed like you don't decide you're going to bring a rifle with you when you travel because, and first off, I mean, I, I have, I have friends and relatives who are gun owners and I, you know, I, I'm not going to get into a second amendment discussion with people. Um, you know, it just, I, I have certain views about gun ownership and what have you. And I, I know that not everybody agrees with me, but my understanding is when you go through Conceal carry training, you know, when you when you go through this process, you are also educated on the fact that there are mm-hmm. states that have very specific laws about whether or not you are allowed to carry a gun into their state, whether or not, you know, so there are all kinds of things there. So so that becomes its own thing. But you also never yep. pick up your gun and point it at someone without the intention of killing them. Like that's a, that is a part of the training. Like the only time you should ever do that is when you plan to use it. And so it's, so you're coming in. So you're not even just being violent in your words. You are also being violent with the intention to kill somebody else. And that was not what happened in the black life matters protests over the summertime. Their, their intention was not to be there to kill somebody else. You know, their intention was to be there to stand up for what's been happening that has been very, very wrong in this country for a very long time. Um, and so it's just it's infuriating to me that you can even put them on the same level. Um, they aren't they aren't the same thing. But oh, yet man. you're but you're angry because you feel like an election's been stolen, even though there is no proof that that is indeed what's happened. It's just one person saying it is, and then we have, but we have a lot of proof that it didn't happen, that there was sketchy stuff going on, you know, in the background with calls being made to elected officials in Georgia saying, you need to get me 11,000 more votes. We have plenty of proof that those things were going on. Um, so yep. you can't, the comparison is yep. not I, even, I, I, it, it doesn't make sense. My last it's not thing for, the, for, you know, for the ones that, uh, right. you know, thought yeah, something yeah. stole from them. I got. I got to take a. I got to take a. They said it wasn't an exact quote, but it, I know Spike Lee had in that movie Malcolm X. You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. That's what happened to them. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what. I, you, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do a little theater there, Gerard. Like that was me, me and my principal, we always use that. that. We always use that when like something just said. like don't sit right, and it's like we think that somebody ain't been quite honest with us. 
Especially when, especially when it comes to certain things, and we're like, it should be like Gerard hit it, hood, because because Steve because Stephen A. Smith always says it too, and I said hoodwink, bamboozle, we've been had, we've been hoodwinked. All those people that ran up in there on that day, and then now all this other stuff is coming out, and they found out that they were misled. They've been hoodwinked. That's what happened to them. So I I tell you what I used to I used to Ooh, default to that to, to Jack Nicholson's speech from A Few Good Men for you know, <laughs> um, but I but I, I think I might start deferring to that instead because that's good. All right, so Dean, you brought up a great topic this week about action bias that we had a quick text back and forth about. Do you want to explain to the good folks what action bias is or what your thoughts are around it? Um, yeah, so I think this came up, and I'm trying to remember, Gerard, if we had started, if the discussion started when we were talking about, it came up during maybe a podcast we were both listening to at the same time. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was one of Brene Brown's podcasts where she was talking about action bias with somebody else, but I had, um, but it's like the, so basically the, the gist of action bias is, um, our tendency to want to want to kind of jump into action and favoring that over inaction. And in a lot of cases we do that because in some way, shape or form, we're benefiting from taking action. Um, so it's, you know, examples that I, I have the close example I had to this is um, so back um, during the summertime when we were kind of in the, the heat of the protests that were occurring at that, at that time, um, there was a, a day where, um, it was like blackout Tuesday mm-hmm. where, you know, people were putting up, you know, they were changing their profile pictures to all black and it, it was meant to, it was meant to stand in solidarity with the, the protests. Um, and what ends up happening with stuff like that is it might it, say that I did this then it is me doing that because in that moment, it makes me feel better that I have, I have shown solidarity, but my everyday practices do not suggest that I am standing in solidarity or working as an ally or a comrade to people who are, you know, seeking to become anti-racist. Um, so that is, so it was, it was interesting for me because, um, you know, oftentimes there is something that happens and you don't know what to call it and you can't really put your finger on it, but you know, it's not right. Um, this kind of was a term for me where I was like, that is the, the vocabulary that I was lacking, um, that I needed. And what oftentimes happens is that, you know, our benefit might be that Mm -hmm. it makes us feel good in the moment or because we, we feel good when we're able to say we've done something. Um, you know, it's like, I, I am, I am helping to solve the, you know, it's like, I, I am doing this thing. So therefore I can say that I've done something, but the problem is that if you're not willing to do those things over time, then you're doing something performative mm. and, um, you're not really helping the cause more so than you are making yourself feel better. And you're making like it about- in the box. Yeah, checking the boxes and making it about you. You know, it's like the last the last time I checked, I was not a black person, and so you know, I can't I, I can't say that I am doing what I need to do to support my my friends who are black if I am just doing something performative. You know, it's about you know how am I living my everyday life 
that is going to help to make somebody else's life better. Um, but that's what, that was kind of what I thought about, um, when I was, you know, milling over in my mind, like what it, what does action bias look like? And, you know, and maybe instances where I have jumped to that in order to say that I've done something. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all probably guilty of it a little bit. I've seen a lot of it with the rainbow flag. Um, yeah. A lot of times, especially, you know, after some of the, I think that was the, there was the, the killing of the massacre down in Florida, I think at the nightclub, you know, at that point I saw a you lot of, um, I'm glad a lot of when, that, when um, Dina brought this up, I was like, let me start, bias. you know, playing around with this. And I found this study and I think both of y'all will find this interesting. It was, it was from 2007. Um, re- researchers had analyzed 286 professional soccer penalty kicks. And what they discovered was that the goalkeepers almost always jump right or left because the norm is to jump. And they said, basically, action bias, a preference for action. But what they found was that the goalkeepers jump to the left 49% of the time, to the right 44% of the time, um, but they only stayed in the center 6% of the time. But once they analyzed the directions of the kicks, it revealed that 32% of the kicks went to the left, 39% went to the right, and 28% stayed in the center. So they analyzed it and said that the odds means that goalkeepers were much more likely to stop a kick if they had just stayed in the center. And the researchers asked the goal, asked like they, you know, qualitative data. And what they found out from Mm. the goalkeepers was that the goalkeepers basically responded saying that they would regret allowing a goal more if they remained in the center than if they dived to the right or left. So the goalkeepers wanted to be seen doing something, even if that something was wrong. And they said they would feel worse about a goal being scored following inaction than following action. I was like, wow. So I was like, man, I'm glad Dina got us in it. Cause I'm getting into, I'm getting into soccer now. Cause my eight year old loves it. So it's like, that was That's interesting to me. I'm like, man, that, like that is us. That is us in our professional world. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. 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 It's, we, we are in uh, back when I waited, uh, I waited tables and bartended for a long time before I became a teacher. And, you know, we, in, in the, you know, food service world, we call that having a sense of urgency, you know, like you're supposed to kind of anticipate things that happen as they, you know, before they get there. And, you know, when, when something needs to be taken care of, you're supposed to kind of do it right away. But like, you know, making the right choices in terms of how to treat other people, that's not something that it needs a sense of urgency behind it. Like you just, you know, if somebody, you know, if somebody is being treated poorly, then yeah, obviously you need to step in and do something. And that's where your sense of urgency should come. But I feel like when it comes to actually Mm -hmm. doing something productive with that, that's kind of where it falls apart with people sometimes, you know, and it's like, then it becomes, you know, it it becomes, you know, messy and complicated. And we're going to do something so we could make the pain go away and make it feel better in the moment. But then in looking back at it, unless you have any sort of wherewithal that that's what you're doing, you don't even, you're not even aware that you're actually just doing something to eliminate the pain you're feeling in that moment. Um, And what makes you uncomfortable, but yet 
you're looking over at this person who is, who is, you know, uh, experiencing some level of prejudice or racism or what have you. And it becomes very much about you in that moment and about what your discomfort is, but not the other person's. And they're the ones that need that sense of urgency applied. You guys brought up two, I mean, Gerard, I, that, I'm still thinking about that, that analogy because I was a soccer goalkeeper growing up. So you, it, it touched with me a lot. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to that point, you, you feel a sense of urgency of needing to do something. Right. And then Dina, to your point in doing something, even if it's not the right thing, it immediately gives you that satisfaction or that relief of, ah, oh, okay, I stepped up in the moment. Although to the point about action bias, it may have done more harm than good, but personally it could possibly make you feel better. Wow. Actually, I, I you know, I'm really glad that, because, you know, I, I hadn't thought much about in those terms until right now. So you guys just kind of opened my head up a lot about why and how and the, and just the, like the, the I, don't know, I don't know if metacognitive is the right way of saying this, the, the way you think about yourself um, in that moment and why, like the motivation again behind why people would want to do, you know, have action bias or I don't know what the right verb is for that. I think action bias is more like an adjective, but um, yeah, interesting. You guys got me thinking here. This is awesome. Well, and it was, it was interesting because I, I think that the way that um, I think the way Brene Brown framed it is, um, she, she, and the person who was the guest on, on the podcast. And I want to say her, her first name's Iko, if I'm remembering this correctly. Um, Singer? No, it was, um, she, she's an author. Yeah. And it's on the, it's on the unlocking, unlocking. No, maybe it's on the dare to lead one. Um, but what she was talking about was, um, so you have a, you have a colleague who, well, no, wouldn't be more a colleague, you would be the supervisor of this person. So they are, um, they've just had to do a presentation and the presentation did not go well. And it's because the the presenter is a black woman and, you know, they, it just, they weren't interacting. And so if you are functioning under action bias, then um, when you hear this is what it is, then you would say something like, you know, well, we're going to have a come to Jesus about, you know, this and they're not going to do this and they're not going to treat you like this. And in that never once was it, Oh my gosh, I, I am so sorry that happened. What kind of support can I give you right now? Right. You know? So it's like, maybe this person wants to handle things on her own. And then there you are jumping in as a white savior trying to fix it all. And, you know, so maybe, you know, taking, taking action in that way, was not the best way to handle that. Maybe what that person needed you to ask was, how do you need support right now so that I can support you in this, not mm. I'm going to yell at these people and I'm going to make myself feel better right now because then you're making it about you. Gerard, I heard you writing there, so I feel like you're about to jump in oh, on no, something. I, was, I, was, I, was, I had I looked it up. I I it's Psycho Bethia, and she's the like, diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So, so then maybe for our listeners or even for myself, then so in those moments, because I'll tell you, I mean, I am guilty as charged of action bias at times. I have fallen to that. I think we, I think all, we all have. Yeah. yeah, we all are. So, so then if I'm sitting at home and I'm listening to this and I'm saying, all right, you three geniuses, <laughs> what do I do then when I feel emotional about something i'm upset you know and i'm upset about something i, I want to put the the black square on my instagram or the the rainbow flag in support you know like 
You know, I, I'm not a part of that community. I don't have a lot of receipts, but yet I, I just, I got to do something to let people know my stance because everyone around me is saying I should say something and do something and blah, 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 blah. Like, so what, what do you think you could do that might be more appropriate? I have think, at least I think what I would do is because I'm, I've gotten better at not, again, I don't know what the verb is, being action biasy. <laughs> um, for less, Dina's laughing because she's the ELA person. But anyway, I'm going to move on. Um, so I think what I've tried to do is at least explain what are my feelings around that. And, and it might just be a short tweet. It might be a blog post. It might be a conversation with somebody. It, it might be a million different things depending upon what the situation is. But, you know, maybe it's ask a couple of questions. Maybe it is you know what, that was wrong, but I don't completely understand it, but I'm going to commit to doing some more thought or research around it so that I do understand what that is. Um, so is the, is the answer to what to do to action bias actually like having some legitimate actions that you can then build up some receipts, as we say sometimes? Like, is that the answer of what you could do? I don't know. Do you guys have any other ideas? Um, so it's been – so I, I – in my own experience, when something's come up, because I, I unfortunately have had to address, um, I had a student talk to me and there was an there was an issue where somebody had another student had said something incredibly racist. And, you know, and I was I was like, totally appalled, because I'm like, I just at, at that point, I, I was just starting to become more aware of what racism looked like and sound like when it wasn't overt, you know? So I was just at a point and I was like totally appalled that this situation had happened. And, um, first thing I did was I slowed down and I said, I, I said to the student, how, how would you like me to handle this? Um, because I I'm upset it happened, but I'm not the victim of somebody else's verbal violence. Like, you know, so it, whatever you would like me to do, I want to make sure that you're comfortable with whatever happens. Um, and so what I learned from that situation mm -hmm. was that sometimes it's best not to act in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. and you have to, you have to sometimes kind of give weight to the fact that, you know, that, not being reactive in a situation is actually more productive because I'm the type of person where I tend to be very reactive to things. And then I have to turn around after, after the fact and go, you know what, not my finest hour and I shouldn't have handled it like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find in most cases, if I do not respond to things right away, that I end up not handling situations in a way that I am regretful of later on. Um, so I think when, you know, obviously if you hear something racist, I had, I heard a kid relaying a story, you know, very recently about how, remember on this day when, you know, this kid said, you know, Hitler was the goat. And I had to like, as much as I wanted to jump in right there, I was like, you know what, let me slow down because I'm going to wind up saying something that I'm going to regret. Mm. I'm going to call this kid a racist and it's going to escalate a situation rather than deescalate it. And gave, gave some time, you know, but waited about 20 minutes and I pulled the cat in the hallway and I said, I need to talk to you about what you said earlier and explain to him what I heard. And I said, I understand that 
you didn't say that you were saying this is what you heard somebody else say, but you laughed about it and you thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. And I said, and you at no point in time should we find the Holocaust humorous, nor should we find it funny about the things that led up to it. And he was apologetic after the fact, but it was if I had immediately called him out of the classroom and called him into the hallway and spoke to him with a raised voice, it would have escalated a situation and it would have then Mm. become the focus would have become on my reaction to it rather than what was actually said. Yeah. And And his learn and his learning too. Yes. Yeah. And so, and and I'm still saying what you said was not okay. You crossed a line. What you said was racist, anti-Semitic, you know, anti-Semitic. I'm still saying all of those things, but I'm saying it in a way that the focus has not become about my my reaction, and it becomes about mm. how what he said and did that was was unacceptable. Mm. Um, so, and I'm not, and I'm not entirely sure that how I handled it was perfect, but I I don't think there's a perfect way to handle a lot of things. Um, it just I know in that moment it slowed me down, and I I looked back at that, and I'm like, wow. I think I handled it as well as I could have, given what the circumstance was. Yeah. That's, nah, that's, that's really nah, good. That's good advice. On the cake Gerard, you got anything else? Are we about to wrap it up here? Any final thoughts? Yeah. I just, I just want to, I mean, the only thing that I would just want to end it with, with, I think with both of these ideas is stop and think, um, especially to my other white people out there, just stop and think for a second before you react. You know, I think intentions around action bias are always positive. I don't think anyone's, going out there trying to, you know, I think the intentions are good. The outcomes sometimes are, um, the idea around white lash, a lot of it, I think just comes from this idea. And I, and I think I, I landed on it today. It's what are you afraid to lose? And why do you feel like you need to fight back on something that is really collective liberation? Um, which is this idea that I keep on coming back to as I, as I hear more and more about it. So just take a minute and think about what it is you're doing, um, and how it is going to be viewed and thought of, you know, in a much bigger you know, uh, global perspective than just yourself. So I don't know if you guys want to add anything else to that, but I just felt like I needed to to leave on that note for me anyway. But what do you guys got? Anything else? Uh, All right. All right. All right, guys. We'll talk again next week. So let's head out of here. All right. This is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming. Fifteen years into education now, you know what can I do to create this equitable space? Like, you know, what? And especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Uh, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.